Hi, Stephen. Hi, Zach. All right, so let me tell you how the ACTs almost killed me and half the school. I'm really interested because as far as I'm aware, you didn't take the ACTs this year. So unless like they were airdropped onto the school, I'm not entirely sure how that would have worked. Okay, so you're right. I did not take the ACTs this year. I'm a senior and normally juniors take them. And the ACT test is a standardized test to measure how good a student you are, I guess, just like all standardized tests are supposed to be. This one is the one that most colleges in the Midwest use. It's really a giant pain for schools to cancel the ACTs or to postpone them because then they have to get like a different test, I think, and the different test costs money and it's all really bad. So here's what happened. On the day, the second day of the ACTs, it's a two-day test. The first day is all the actual ACT standardized testing things, and the second day is the work keys test. And Zach, you have a very good description of what the work keys are. Okay, so the work keys. You know how in a lot of standardized tests you'll take something and it'll say the curtain was blue and you'll have to derive from that some meaning like, oh, the main character is sad, uh, which I actually have a side note for. We can get back to that. In the work keys, you just have to say the curtain was blue. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, basic basic proficiency test. Yeah. So, but regardless, all the juniors are required to take it. So, the weather was really, really, really bad on the second day of the ACT testing. So, here's the thing. When the roads are super icy in Wisconsin, they cancel school or they give a two-hour delay or something to keep the kids and the parents and the bus drivers safe. But they couldn't because it's a giant pain to reschedule the ACTs. So, yeah. I don't know the exact number of kids that went to the ditch, but there was a lot. Oh, boy. So many. I almost did. Oh. Driving so, yeah. on ice it, is yeah. one of the many reasons I decided to move to a city. <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, uh, Rosendale is very uh, rural, you could say. So... If you were to try to plow everything, which you can't really plow the ice. It was freezing rain just all day. You know how hard mm -hmm. it is to scrape freezing rain off your car? Like, yeah, after it's not... been all day, it's it's so bad. Anyway, the administrators at the school made a decision that the bad roads weren't as much of a hassle as canceling the ACTs. But it's still definitely the college board's fault because they made it so impossibly hard to reschedule tests. Yes. 100%. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Okay, so the long and short of why I think that deriving meaning from the color of the curtains in a novel is a load of hooey, especially on standardized tests, uh, is a specific article, Huffington Post, but written by an author, uh, uh, Sarah Holbrook. And she wrote this Huffington Post article about how the Texas standardized tests used her poems because they're just easier to license if it's a small poet. So they used her poems and had the students answer questions about her poems. And once Texas was done distributing the tests, they did give the author a chance to review the questions after all the students had taken the tests. And she couldn't get most of the questions about what the author's intention was correct on this <laughs> test, Texas standardized test. Nice. So 
on the whole, definitely more of a how well can you take a test than actually how well do you understand the English language. Yeah, I'm pretty sure CGP Grey said for taking tests, if it's a hard science like math or biology or whatever, uh, you just need to take as many tests as possible to get yourself prepared for the big one because it is just raw memorization in those cases most of the time. Mm -hmm. For the softer sciences or the not sciences at all, like English, you should... <laughs> well... well uh, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He said that what you're trying to do is guess not what the correct answer is, but what the teacher wants you to put down. Yeah, that's that's about it. Yeah. And so far, he's been correct. If I was a college board member, what would I put? <laughs> Probably C. So some follow-up from last episode. Steven was talking about pro users on Apple's ecosystem, and that if Apple continues treating pro users the way they are currently, which is not very well, Eventually, 10 years down the line, he's going to make the switch, the ultimate switch away from Apple. And Tim Cook, uh, hearing this, put out, or not put out a press release, he actually gave a talk to all of his shareholders saying that Apple promises to do more in the pro area, which is about as specific as they got. They just said, hey, yeah, pro's important, right? How many people are going to clap if we say pro? Um <laughs> Also, uh, a very important announcement from this same shareholder meeting is that Apple is very unlikely to release a circular phone. You mean like a, like a very small, very uh, short cylinder phone? Is that what he yeah. means by that? Like I think just... so. Like the Imagine you... the old Apple hockey puck mice. Yeah. Like that, but a phone? And it doesn't really say. It just says one shareholder made a request to Apple to make a super smart dumb phone. That's round. <laughs> okay, so he probably doesn't mean taking the fillets off the phone and making them completely rectangular. Taking the what off? No rounded corners. He doesn't mean no rounded corners. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, they're not just going to only have hard right angles from now on. That, yeah, I, I disagree with that if that is their decision. <laughs> it's just going to be a giant bubble. It's going to be a sphere. Oh. And you manipulate it just by rotating hemispheres back and forth like a four-piece or a two-by-two two Rubik's Cube. You just manipulate it back and forth, and there's a screen on each bit. Or it's a holographic display on the inside. Hmm. Um, that is definitely a computer in a sci-fi film I watched. I don't know what you Yes. <laughs> All right, well, uh, what do you think they mean zach what do you what do you think they mean when they say they're gonna make more pro stuff oh man like do you think I, they're actually I'm, gonna make a thicker computer i'm really doubtful i when reading this the language that they use at least in the article doesn't necessarily exclude them from just expanding the ipad pro line which is upsetting because i still want my file system i still want to be able to write an app on my computer that would be neato that's gotta um, be coming. And that's, right? I mean, there, there's no way they can keep calling iPad Pro Pro Line without releasing Xcode for it, right? I mean, that's gotta be coming. You gotta hope. Okay. You gotta hope. <laughs> yeah. The 
Tim Cook is quoted here saying, You will see us do more in the pro area. The pro area is very important to us. The creative area is very important in particular. Um, which the first bit feels like some very, very circular tautological thinking. Um, and then the creative thing really just makes me think that he's saying, we'll give more tools to iPad Pro users. Uh, or maybe something akin to the Surface Studio, where it's a larger scale mm. iPad Pro. Speaking of Surface products, I have a Surface Book with the performance base, and it is really annoying how many products are Mac-specific compared to the giant amount of Windows computers that are out there. Uh, I'm shocked that there's not there's not a 12 South of Surface. What is 12 South, Zach? 12 South is a computer accessories thing, but they only make products for Macs. That's like the first line on their website is, we design products for Macs. They make uh, stands for MacBooks and Mac, just iMacs and iPads and all kinds of different Mac products, which is really nice. And they look really, really good and they fit with the whole Mac aesthetic very well. But there's nothing with that same sense of style that goes with the Surface line or really any Windows computer. Hmm. For example, I was looking at getting something to raise my screen up, to raise my laptop up, because the proper height that you're looking at for your device is supposed to be um, the top of your monitor at eye level, just when you're looking straight ahead. Right now, mine is probably a foot off, so I was looking to get something to pick my laptop up, and I was thinking, hey, 12 South makes something like that for a Mac, so maybe I could use something like that for my Surface, but they actually specifically say in a lot of the comments, hey, this does not work for Surface devices. It's really shaped to fit a MacBook very closely. <laughs> um, so when I bought this, I was aware that there weren't a lot of Windows-specific design firms, and I figured that's just because every computer design firm that isn't Mac-specific and only Mac is just going to generally, assumedly, be for Windows. But what it actually means is that there are not Windows-specific <laughs> design firms in the way that Mac has 12 South or... Right. That surprises me because I've had a Mac for a long time and I've always seen things around like, hey, this is a cool piece of software. Just kidding, only for Windows. You and your Mac can go play over there with GarageBand and whatever else you got want to use. And that is true for the most part, but... Certain things, like the Omni Group products, there, I have found, is almost no equivalent on the Windows side. I was really hoping I could make a flowchart the other day, and it is not an option on Windows, as far as I can find, unless you want to spend $150 a year to get Microsoft's own proprietary flowchart program that also does seating arrangements and a billion other things that I don't necessarily need. I just want to make some flowcharts on an app that isn't open source and 10 years old. So there definitely are some Windows software, some pieces of software that are Windows specific. I don't know why my VU meter isn't going up, but it's recording audio, so I'm gonna not worry about it. <laughs> I, I just noticed that, that as I'm talking, my VU meter is not bouncing up and down. That's a little concerning. So there are quite a few bits of Windows software that are Windows-specific and you can't get them on Mac, but that actually has been going down in the night. And now there are a lot more 
Mac-specific products like OmniGraffle and like OmniFocus and that kind of thing. The only ones I can think of off the top of my head are by OmniGroup. Uh, Dash is a really good developer tool, and that's not available for Windows. Um, so that kind of thing is really frustrating and makes me miss my Mac even more. <laughs> yeah, you just got to... I mean, I don't think you're going to be able to lobby OmniFocus, the Omni Group, to make OmniFocus for Windows anytime soon. They do seem, and yeah, definitely not 12 South. Their splash page is does not work with PCs or something like that. Yeah. So as of right now, my options are the really annoying anodized aluminum Amazon one, <laughs> or one that's literally just a sticky A on a post that Monoframe makes. Nice. Those are your options on Windows. Don't you have, like, a makerspace or something you could build your own? That's a lot of work, Stephen. Yeah, but, like, isn't it satisfying to say that you made this laptop stand that fits your computer's dimensions exactly? I guess. Also, I've never taken a metal metalworking class in my life, so it's going to be a steep learning curve to Even make better. a little thing for my computer to sit on. <laughs> I'll think about it. So, per your request, Zach, Thor mm. is now running SETI at home. So, Thor is now searching for aliens. Awesome. And for anyone who didn't listen to the first two episodes of the Worrying Bugs podcast, Thor is a pretty darn powerful computer uh, that we have at my school. And it, I had it running a program that finds prime numbers until Zach said that I should have it run SETI, which is the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. So, my question, Zach, for yeah. SETI, is what happens to my computer when it finds aliens? Um, I am not 100% sure. The reason that I know about SETI is from a book, Every Soul, A... And then, the, the like, it's an actual star. The actual title is Every Soul, A Star, but the, the front cover is Every Soul, A, and then they actually show a star. Um, hmm. It's a neat, it's a well-designed book cover. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the only reason that I know about SETI is from Every Soul, A Star, which is a book about a big solar eclipse that's happening um, at this one location in Utah or somewhere. And these alien-obsessed camp owners who have a computer running SETI are right in the middle of this solar eclipse, uh, this, the, the path of the solar eclipse. So they get a bunch of people flocking there, and in the midst of all of this solar eclipse business, their computer gets a false ping from SETI, and they, like, they auto-get sent an email from SETI that says, hey, we found something interesting in the data that you found, so just so you know. I don't know if that's accurate, though. I'm not entirely sure what happens. But I wish. If I... Here's what I want to happen. Oh, boy. I want... Big, bold letters across the screen, probably red as well, in a sans-serif font. Yep. Holy crap, aliens. <laughs> and then just repeat that. Holy crap, aliens. Holy crap, aliens. And that's what I want to happen when, th when my computer finds aliens. Or you could just have an infinitely looping gif of the one guy from the History Channel just going, <laughs> aliens. I feel like that's a... Uh justifiable alternative to give credit where credit is due our friend liam had an idea for an app that i thought we'd share all right 
and I have no idea how, how it's going to work, but it's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So, the idea is that you plug something into the aux cord of your car or a party or whatever, and everyone, probably excluding the driver, plays a game on their phone, and the winner gets to pick the next song. Hmm, okay. That's pretty cool. Do you know what the gameplay itself would be like? Would it no be idea. like a Mario Party type thing, where it randomizes it as you go Maybe. through? Uh, one, that was an idea. We'd have like separate little games inside the app, or we just provide an integration for already established apps, and we say, hey, Angry Birds, how about this? <laughs> just stick this line of code in their end of the level, basically, and mm -hmm. whoever has the highest score on Angry Birds wins. Whoever gets the highest Flappy Bird score? Yeah, Flappy Bird too, because that's yeah. totally being developed still. Yeah, it's... Yeah, hundred percent. Um, yeah, that's that's a good idea. When I initially saw it, I thought that there was going to be one phone that was plugged in, but this could also work with uh, something like the Google Chromecast, where yeah. everybody's got authorization. Also, the way that it was written in the agenda, I definitely thought that it was a an ongoing battle. Like you just had to tap something as furiously as you could, and whoever had tapped more gets control over at the instant that they've tapped more. So it's like you're just constantly switching radio stations, oh, which I thought wow. would be a little disorienting. But that that makes a lot more sense that it changes song by song, but also sounds like it would be a lot more difficult. Yes. I don't know how it would work. Because you need to hook into the yeah, you need to media player. This, yeah, Spotify or something. Get, then that'd be a hassle too, because we'd have to get Angry Birds and Spotify to work together. <laughs> yeah, that would make sense. You get control and you just get to choose the playlist. Because then you just need to make sure that the playlist is public, and then the receiving device just has to decide which of the public playlists to choose, as opposed right. to getting the media from one device. Right. That you have to send it with Bluetooth or whatever over the air. Or, uh... So Chromecast, it gives off its own Wi-Fi signal, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that's how we could connect them, the devices, too. Mm -hmm. I was thinking Bluetooth at first, but that isn't great for multiple people on the same device. Yeah, and I think across platforms it gets really hard, too. Yeah. Between I iOS and Android. Wi-Fi tends to be pretty universal. Yeah. All right, well, there's your million-dollar app idea. For If you could refrain from creating it before I do, that'd be great. But, like, <laughs> I want it to happen regardless, so if someone does it, that's cool, too. One of the big projects that I haven't been talking much about because it's been in progress has been for one of my classes, Writing Milwaukee, and the main project was on the March on Milwaukee, which was a big event that happened in Milwaukee in 1967 and led to the Fair Housing Act of 1968. Um, it's exactly what it sounds like. It was a march on Milwaukee for the sake of fair housing rights um, for African-Americans. And so now going back through this, we had our access to the archives and have been researching and researching and researching. And every person in this 15-person class has been getting a different take on what happened during the march because there's so much information that we can get from the archives. So it's interesting now, talking with everyone, how wide our knowledge base is and how we can see it from a lot of the different sides. 
And I realized that that's something that I really wish we had for modern legislation. For example, the Dairy Pride Act. Um, when we were, when I was looking for that, looking at that for the few podcasts ago, one of the things I really wanted to know is who's lobbying on the other side of this? Like who really, really just needs to call their soy milk or whatever soy milk? Um, and what their argument was. And there's no good consolidated way right now to get that kind of information in one place as to what the proponents and opponents of something say. Hmm. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. So what's your proposal, Zach? What do you have a plan to get this into modern society? Yeah, no, that's where I thought you could come in. Uh (laughs) Okay. I guess that makes sense. I don't know. We can, everyone can get a heads-up display, and we can just feed them the information. That's Not it. That, constant. That yeah. You know, constant information. I oh, got it. Oh boy. I got it. So we give everyone a a, uh, a a piece of glass, a little bit bigger than a deck of cards, and okay. they'll have access to all the information mankind has ever known. Is We're it like inscribed the in the glass? I'm so confused, Stephen. <laughs> no, it ch- the glass has a picture on it. And it changes. Uh, oh wow. <laughs> Yeah, it's so here's the thing, Zach. Yeah. As much as I love this idea, uh no one wants to go find information nor do they want to hear it. Correct. That is a hundred percent correct. And I'm not saying that we should run out in the streets and tell everyone exactly why both sides did what they did during the housing marches in Milwaukee in nineteen sixty seven, nor am I saying we should do that for why some dude wants to defund the EPA today. But what I want to see is a site, uh, congress.gov, or whatever it is that's got a repository of those. So if I want to find them, then it's on whatever politician is passing that bill and whatever politicians are opposing it to give their sides. Hmm. So who gets to write their side and who doesn't? Because we can't have everyone writing their side. Because then it would just be the internet. Is it the people with the most money? Because that's also not a good solution. (laughs) That's what we have right now. Exactly. Um, Yeah, this is is an ongoing question, I suppose. I don't know all the answers, but... Yeah. Like I said, I like the idea, but there's some kinks, you could say. It's hard to implement. Yeah. So recently, track and field started at my school. Uh, the season, that is. Track and field season started. Mm-hmm. And the first two weeks are the hardest. They're trying to condition you to be good for the rest of the season. And for the rest of the season, we can work on form and technique with minimal conditioning. Hmm. Okay. So. Is that also in a way to weed out those who just can't can't handle it? Or are you assuming um, that if you're in track, you can handle it? I think most people can handle it. I think I don't think anyone would drop out because of the quote-unquote hell week. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, people have, but they. I think they could if they wanted to. If they actually like wanted to be better, they would just take the conditioning. Yeah. So yeah, uh, turns out lots of exercise makes you hungry. Yep, that makes sense. Yeah, and the thing about, uh, for some reason, it's a different kind of hungry, though, because... It's not a quenchable kind of hungry. It's just you keep eating and eating and eating, and then later you feel bloated, but still kind of hungry. Oh. And that's not 
I'm assuming that's not for most people. That's just for me, and I might have a problem. But that's how I'm, I'm have been feeling the last week. Or can so. you tell from my noises of reaction that I probably haven't exercised all too much as a whole in my life? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think you need to to um, to think about what that would be like. I'm not sure if that is a common thing. I have done track in the past, and I've done plenty of sports in the past. Never felt like that before. So maybe I'm just doing something wrong with the actual nutrition part of my life, but... It's possible. You need those micronutrients, Stephen. That's what your problem is. You gotta just start chugging soylent. It might just be I need more bananas in my diet, but, like, it also might be, wow, I'm just hungry because something You're expending energy. Yeah. I'm expending more energy than I have in the past. So, Zach... You don't talk about what you do for fun very much. I assume you do do things for fun. I just, you don't talk about it, uh, to me, very much. Mm -hmm. And especially on the podcast, I just generally refrain from it because a lot of them aren't very podcasty things. Um, But I I do do things for fun. This is a fact. There are fun things in my life. I'm not 100% (laughs) all work, no play. But... A lot of the things that I used to do for fun are now things that I'm doing for school, which means that school is much less miserable. Uh, And it's school itself is a lot of fun, but it's not kind of that relaxed fun where you don't have any deadlines. Um, Mm. And so I've been working on separating the, the deadline fun from just the general fun, and that is an ongoing process. But a lot of times now that I'm at school and not the only child in a home in the middle of nowhere... I have people to talk to a lot more frequently, which is something that I haven't had before, and I've realized that I really like talking to people. It's a good time. Um, so <laughs> a lot of a lot of times, the fun time that I have will be just chilling out in the common room talking to people about memes. We had a good, probably two-hour discussion on memology. Um, we, yeah, just generally chat about all kinds of things, which aren't necessarily podcast topics. But they are certainly things that I do for fun. Additionally, one of the things that I'm doing for fun is I'm trying to do a monthly video series, kind of a vlog type thing. Um, Because since I've come to college, it's been really nice looking back at all of the videos that I made from like 8th grade, which no one can find anymore. They are all listed private. Don't go looking. Um, (laughs) I need to double check that, but hopefully... And those are uh, extremely cringeworthy, but they're this really neat snapshot of myself at this time. So I'm trying to start up that habit again of recording videos to get another snapshot of me at this time going into college. And that's been really good, and I've been recording a lot, and it's made me a little more conscious, actually, of what I am doing for fun, because then I'm recording the fun things that aren't just discussion. But also, to have that and put it out in the world... I need to actually edit some stuff, which is in conflict with all of those deadline fun things that I enjoy doing otherwise. Deadline fun stops being fun close to the deadline, I find. Yep. Yeah. So the, the, the original deadline for the most recent video was the beginning of, or the end of February, which did not happen. So there's not really a deadline for the videos anymore. It's just getting them done when I have the time. All right. Well, I mean, 
it's cool that you're doing that, though. Uh, now that I think about it, it would be nice to see... Actually, never mind. I don't want to see what I was like before now. That, that, yeah, <laughs> it's, that. it's definitely a occasional thing, like... Especially to show to new people and be like, hey, you know me now, but like, look at me when I was in 8th grade. Isn't this weird? So, Stephen, last week you were talking about uh, your project on The Tempest by Shakespeare. So how's that going? It's going really well, actually. Uh, we got most of the stuff that we needed to record recorded, and we got all that stuff edited, and we had a pretty rough draft and we sent it in to be evaluated by the three English teachers and the one serious advisor mm -hmm. and they that is one of the projects that is going to go to Madison to be showcased to the convention of sorts I'm not really sure what they're calling it the tempest convention basically yeah it's you everyone makes a project and then you take the best however many projects and you send it and all the schools send it to Madison to be showcased there. And then each school actually gets one project that gets to talk for five minutes in front of everyone in the state. Oh, wow. And we were that project, actually. So <sighs> I will be talking in front of about 3,000 people about the thing I did. All right. And I'm not nervous at all. How are you feeling Which, about that? Okay. No, I, I'm really not nervous at all because I have become a very good public speaker, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. You and I, Zach, got a gold at State Forensics uh, last year, and I had the lead role in the school musical in the fall, and it was pretty decent, I think. <laughs> and now I'm doing a podcast in which I talk to people. I'm not talking to them, though. This is just me recording. I'm talking to you, Zach. Yes, you are. But people, but people listen to it, and it's pretty cool. Yeah. And I'm not. And it doesn't make me nervous. So I mean, it's just three thousand people, right? <laughs> you should you should put in a little plug at the very end. Hey, listen exactly. to Warren Big Bugs. <laughs> listen to the Warren Bugs. I was just bugs. thinking that. Not uh, off. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing. <laughs> I don't actually know what I'm supposed to be saying. Oh. So far, none of the people who have chosen me to talk in front of 3,000 people have told me what to say, and I, when I asked them what to say, they said they don't know and probably won't know. Alright, I was just about to say that this is probably better than even the podcasting, because it's not necessarily extemporaneous. You've got some written script and some <laughs> idea of what you need to say, but is that not the case uh, apparently not see we can't find any record of someone doing this in years past so we mm -hmm. don't know what it's supposed to be like and despite all our best efforts to find someone who knows something about this we can't at the moment so oh boy my, per my current plan is to sit there not to go first go like yeah i don't know like 50th whatever yep. i'm not sure how many people are going and just sit there with a notepad or something and write and figure out what they're doing and write something that is similar but is for me. Oh my god. Because I'm not sure if I'm even supposed to be talking about the project. Am I supposed to be talking about the project or am I supposed to be talking about the Tempest or like the, the process of making... Yeah, or the school. Just I, make it a yeah, three-minute serious advertisement. 
<laughs> What's the thing? I'm not only talking for Cirrus, I'm talking for Laconia as well. Oh. Because, yeah, because I am actually in two projects. There's the Cirrus one, the Miranda as the Bachelorette, and then a different group approached me about doing a, an epic rap battles style Prospero versus Caliban. Who are characters in The Tempest. Yeah. And that turn, that's turning out really well, too. And I eventually would like to show people that that's the only part I'm nervous about. It's not the actual speaking. It's, like, figuring out what to say. Yeah, that's... Just hope you aren't first. If they're going yeah. alphabetically, I think you're good on all cases. <laughs> Seriously. You don't go to, like, ah, yeah. uh, district or anything. <laughs> <laughs> What's their mascot, Zach? What's ah, uh, district's mascot? It's just a giant gaping mouth. It's like, um, have you seen the beginning <laughs> of Rocky Horror Picture Show? Sure. There's just these big red lips that open up and they start singing at some point in the opening. And they're just floating in a black void. So you're just a, their mascot is just a giant open mouth. So I want to know a little bit more about uh, your writing Milwaukee project. I am much more prepared to answer questions than talk about it at length. Okay. What, what is this for? What are you doing this for? All right. Um, so this is for a college class in my, the Honors College, here where I'm going to school. And the wider topic is writing Milwaukee and analyzing our interaction with place. Our next project is going to be about... Um, just what makes a place great, and following that, we're going to be looking into River West and the River West community. So this is essentially an English class for me. It's taking pla the place of an English writing class. Um, but instead of just going in and memorizing how sentence structure works or something like that, the Honors College has professors who with very small class sizes, so 15 or 16 students, that do more in-depth projects. So one group right now, one class is reading Freud, one class is doing an analysis of place but through poetry, and ours is an analysis of place through history as well as modern day. So this first project, the March on Milwaukee project, was a analysis of the history of Milwaukee using the archives that we have available to us at school. So the archive is this huge stack of folders, essentially, many stacks of folders that contain all sorts of old archival documents from hate mail to Val Phillips or Father Grappi, who were very important figures in this march, um, all the way to the laws that were proposed to try and stop all of the violence that was ensuing and the... Just a lot of the information that surrounds this. There's some information on a lawyer who was fighting for equal education while everyone else was fighting for equal housing. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to go a little bit deeper even, Zach. Okay. Uh, why does your honors college class want you to do this besides giving you an English credit? Part of it is just learning how to do archival research because it's something that pretty much no one has done before. And it's a new skill that we're gaining, as well as discussing how change happens, especially with the current administration. We're looking into the ways that change and government and people's actions all work with each other and against each other. So I attacked this March on Milwaukee project from the angle of 
the ways in which government attempted to stem the flow and attempted to fix open housing before it became much of an issue. And then once that was stopped and stalled in government and the common council, which is like the town hall, town board. So once it stalled in the common council, then public movement stepped in and started to enact not violent protests is the term they used quotes on not violent. Um, it was slightly different from the nonviolence that we know of in the South and Selma in that they wouldn't provoke an attack, but if they were attacked, they wouldn't be afraid to punch back, essentially, um, which was just a different mentality for making this movement in a different region of America. So once the not-violent protests began happening, then they started talking about it more in Common Council, which got more people to act in the not-violent protests until eventually um, it built and built and built, and then culminated actually in Martin Luther King Jr.'s death, where um, then a lot of politicians were very afraid of what was going to happen now that this whole movement didn't really have a direction and a strong leader. They were afraid it was going to devolve into a lot of violence. So um, very quickly, the 1968 Fair Housing Act was enacted on a federal level, and also Milwaukee enacted a very similar law on a local level. Hmm. Okay. That sounds really cool. Yeah, it is. It's it's a really neat way to explore the history of this place as well as the way that politics work. Right. And the archival research, that sounds like a giant pain. But it is if it is the only way to get information, that's a really cool. Yeah. One of the hard things about it is I'm so used to researching just with a website now. So if I go to a website, I can kind of command F and find whatever heading I'm looking for because someone's writing it knowing that someone's coming into that website looking for information. But yeah. with archival research, it's just a bunch of letters that somebody wrote to someone. So without all of the context, it's hard to know what information you're supposed to be pulling out of it. Um, so you end yeah, up doubling yeah. up on a lot of information in some places, and then in other places you just have big holes in your knowledge. Like, I got a lot of information of people talking about certain laws, but never actually got to read those laws. I just knew what people thought about them. What was your solution to uh, not being able to command F and make your own structure of data, I guess? When we went into this project, we knew that it was a higher level project on a lower level timescale. Uh, so the professor actually was really forgiving if you were just missing a little bit of information. So knowing that that was there was a really good thing, so I didn't stress out too much about getting in full grasp of all of the information. But the really only other solution is just to keep looking through and getting as much information as you can and kind of constructing a full narrative from all of that. The archives actually do have some good search tools that we just didn't end up using because they pre-pulled all of the boxes we would be needing to research Mark on Milwaukee, March on Milwaukee already for us, so we didn't need to do much searching to get exactly what was in each folder. So, Zach. So, Stephen. We have all been there. Mm -hmm. You have a test coming up that you know you are not prepared for whatsoever. What do you do? All right, so from personal experience, this being midterms week at my school, just go to the test and cross your fingers. Um, but that's not advice I would actually give to anyone ever. Don't do that. 
Um, for me, I generally feel pretty prepared for a test, so I don't necessarily know how to how to ward off that feeling. It doesn't actually matter what you're feeling. What do you do to, to quickly prepare for the test? Do you have a solution, or is this a problem you faced yourself? This, this is a thing that, like, this happened to me, and I was like, I wonder what Zach does when he's in this situation. But it sounds like you are not in this situation, ever. Yeah, or if I do, I just kind of chug ahead. All right. Zach Sorry. Is a better student than I am. Aha. Better student or just generally predisposed to grabbing every little bit of information. <laughs> so what what did you do in your experience? Well, I flunked the test. <laughs> <laughs> That's the solution. Yeah, it's not a good one though. Uh and I was hoping that you'd have some advice. Uh I mean, what I did was just open up the textbook and start reading because I'm a fairly fast reader. However, I'm a fast reader because I skip chunks of information all the time. Mm -hmm. And normally I can fill in the blanks, but not on... Specifically, the one I'm thinking of is my AP government test, in which I was not prepared, I was busy, whatever, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I'm not making excuses, I was unprepared for the test. During some free time I had, I just opened up the book, started reading, and definitely got the overall gist of the topic. And I could answer questions about the topic, but I could not give you specific court cases or specific figures that were on the test. Actually, I, I do know what my solution to that is. Never go to any classes where you aren't just addressing wide concepts. That's, that's yeah. my solution. That's... I, I tried that. It, it didn't really work. I ended up not taking any classes. <laughs> it's like... A math class. Mm -hmm. I'm, I mean, maybe it's just me, but if you can get the basic idea of a topic in math, then you can, even while you're taking a test, derive from that information the rest of the information you need to take that test. Yeah, but I've, I've never been a fan of history classes or anything like that, specifically because I've never had uh, a mind for keeping specific dates in yeah. my head. Me either. We are both very good at getting the summary of information. Mm -hmm. How do you take notes on a on a tangent from that? Because um, if you, I'm thinking, if you took notes in certain ways, it'd be easier to prepare for a test. Yeah, definitely. So the way I take notes is don't in class, which is a bad idea for most people, but I think it works for me all right because mm -hmm. I am a much better. Uh, auditory learner than I am visual learner. So if I hear my teacher lecture me, I will probably take in that information. But if I write it down as well, it's going to be, again, that summarized version that I wrote mm -hmm. down. So when I am reading the textbook, then I'm, that's where I take the notes. That's where I take the, the specific dates, the specific stuff. And so that combined the lecture overall kind of stuff and a little bit of specific combined with the book notes, which are very much specific, a little bit of overall. It tends to work okay, mm -hmm. except when I neglect to do the book stuff. Then yeah. it doesn't work so great. How do you take notes? Actually, pretty much the same way. It's a lot of getting the lecture in class, so I kind of have a baseline, and then going through the book and just 
pulling out the main ideas. Uh, one of the tricks that I've read is to try and summarize each paragraph as you read it in your own words. Um, but a lot of times I end up just writing down, like for digital logic, for example, writing down a table of what the gates are and what the what they mean and what the symbol is and all of those different functions of Boolean logic. And when you say write, do you use a pen or do you type? I use a Surface Pen, which is the main reason that I wanted this computer, <laughs> is because I can have I about that. the Kindle app up on the left side and the OneNote app up on the right side and take notes on the one device. It's a good solution. I They didn't give me an Apple Pen that works on my giant MacBook trackpad, <laughs> so I cannot do that. But I do also um, write with a pen when I take notes. Sometimes if I feel like I don't understand the information, I'll do a second pass over the text with a different medium. So I'll type it instead of write it. Oh, yeah. But that is rare because it, frankly, government's not that hard. Mm -hmm. My math class, actually, I do... Whoa, that pen fell apart when I grabbed it. That's neat. Um... <laughs> My math class, actually, I do take paper notes, and for that one, I use the Pilot Friction Ball, which I found on the Pen Addict, um, and it works just like a regular pen, except for if you heat it up, it vanishes. So it comes with a little rubber nub on the end of it so that you can erase this pen ink, but it's oh. different from other erasable inks because it's heat-based and not... Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, rubbing it off. You're not rubbing it off. You're just making the pen, you're making the ink mm -hmm. turn transparent. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. I haven't heard of that. Because then it, it looks nicer. It's not just in pencil and it doesn't rub all over the right. page. Right. I despise pencils for that very reason. I hate electronic calendars so much. Oh? I don't have a good logical reason. I just do. <laughs> they they don't work for me. I don't remember the dates in my head. And they'll. I feel like they alert me of the wrong things. Their little algorithm that says this is important, this is not important, is always wrong. Mm -hmm. So I, ended up get, I end up getting 100 notifications or zero notifications. And it's just really, like... So, earlier, like, pretty much right after... We recorded the last podcast. I said, I'm going back to writing things in notebooks. All right. And then two days later, I said, I'm going back to electronic calendars <laughs> because this isn't working for me either. Maybe it's just something about dates. I don't know. I don't, for whatever reason, I just can't keep a non-repeating schedule. Hmm. So what's what are some events that you have that totally throw off your internal calendar system that you can't just keep it all in your head. An event like, hey Steven, wanna grab dinner tonight? And me being like, sure, what time? How about six? Great, I'll be there. Mm -hmm. And then I get a call, hey Steven, where are you? <laughs> it's oh, six crap. fifteen. That was at sick. Exactly. <laughs> and I could write those things down. And mm -hmm. sometimes I do even. <laughs> but when I do write it down and I get a little notification about it, I'm like, well, that wasn't necessary. I remembered that anyway. Because mm -hmm. it's more about writing it down 
just to have it in your head than it is actually about needing a notification. Right. And then I had, so yeah, so that in that makes notebooks make sense, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, then you got to carry a notebook around, which mm-hmm. I've done before, and I'm okay with doing. But then you also need an organizational structure in your notebook. Yep. So it has to be a planner of some sort, or you have to make your own in a field notes kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then if you write a line about an event, and then you write another line about an event that you think are like right next to each other, so like something at four and then something at six, you can probably put those right next to each other. Yeah. Except then you get something that happens at five, and you can't, you have to put it below it because there's no room in between anymore. And then there's like a weird, ugly arrow sticking it in between four and six. Exactly. And that's why electronic calendars are so great. Yeah. So what's the problem with using an electronic calendar and turning off notifications? The problem is the electronic calendar turns them back on. I don't know what electronic calendar you're using, but I've never experienced that. I, I don't know. Maybe it's just my terrible luck, but every default gets reset seemingly every time I put in a notification. I'll go into the settings and be like, okay, shut up. Just mm-hmm. stop. And then I'll put a few events in. Great. Next day, put an event in. Great. I didn't look at the alert thing because I assumed it was off by default because yeah. I told it to be. And then I get a buzz on my phone at 6 o'clock when I'm supposed to go out to dinner. <laughs> so I don't know what's going on. Huh. I, I have a calendar system that works for me, and I think uh, an important part of it was it started when I started college. And so I didn't know where anything was or what time anything was. So I had to constantly be checking the calendar. So I built in that habit of, oh, no, what am I doing right now? Better look at my calendar. Uh, oh. Which is a good habit now, because if I vaguely remember, hey, something else was happening today, better look at my calendar, then I'm good. But also, I don't have any notifications coming on. It's a voluntary check my calendar thing. The only thing Mm -hmm. that I do have notifications for is my work schedule, because that varies so much throughout the week that I just have a 10 and 15 minute notification so that I'm aware and ready and can get going 10 minutes before so that I'm arriving on time. Okay. Do you put those in manually, or do you have a shared calendar with your work? It's uh, just a personal calendar that I have set up, so the defaults on that calendar are 10 and 15 minute notification, but everything else just has no notifications set. Alright. I'm going to keep trying (laughs) to use an electronic calendar, although at some point I I might just, like, delete my Google account. (laughs) (laughs) Like... If that's the solution that needs to happen, (laughs) so my phone will stop buzzing, then so be it. Speaking of needing to do things every day, Mm -hmm. I'm really bad at making habits. Yep. And to start trying to do habits, I'm going to start using a website called Habitica to try to motivate me to get doing habits every day. So what's Habitica? They're... Slogan is a habit role-playing game. Mm -hmm. So basically, you get experience and gold and things like that for completing tasks or habits or things you need to do every day, which which they call dailies. Mm -hmm. And you lose health by forgetting to do these things or doing a negative thing like, I don't know, eating junk food or something. Yeah. I wanted to do it because I wanted to start meditating. 
every day, but it was not a habit for me, so I didn't do it. And mm-hmm. I kept trying and trying and trying, and I would get like three or four days into it, and then something would come up and I wouldn't be able to, or I would tell myself that I would wasn't able to, basically. Yeah. And then I wouldn't do it. So with this, there's a uh, there's a reward if I do it, and then so hopefully I'll want to instead of feeling like meditating is a chore because it's really not it's supposed to be relaxing and if i feel mm-hmm. like a chore like i have been it loses kind of the effect i think some of it at least so to check it out i just booted up habitica myself and it turns out that i did at some point play habitica but it was long enough ago that one of my daily to-dos is chemistry homework which i haven't done since sophomore year <laughs> nice so I guess this is pretty old, and I'm just finding out about it, like, recently, but still. Yeah. It's, uh, it's cool. I I don't think I would personally use it, because it's another system. Like, why not just have dailies in OmniFocus? Uh, mostly because there's no, uh, there's no downside to just saying, yeah, whatever, OmniFocus, just defer it till tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Because there's not an actual deadline, it's just, like, the thing pops up and it says to meditate, but if you don't, whatever, no, nothing's going to happen. But something actually does happen when you don't meditate in a Habitica. You lose health, and then your whatever pet thing, something happens to that. And it's, it's more of a, a reward than just seeing the checkbox in OmniFocus, which is very satisfying. Mm-hmm. But it's not, you got 17 gold for getting inbox zero. Yeah. Do you you get inbox zero regularly enough for it to be a habit? Yeah, I try to at least. Oh man, how's your email look, Zach? Um, it's not as bad as it was. So part of my problem is that all of my YouTube notifications come in through email. Mm. So this is a system that I set up a while ago um, because there was an option on YouTube, and I was I had enough time. Um, so YouTube would send me an email every time that someone I was subscribed to and, like, had hit the notification button, uploaded a video. And I usually could stay on top of this, and it meant that I never missed a video from some YouTuber that I cared about. But then what ended up happening over the summer and then getting into this school year is I had probably 200 items that were just from YouTube sitting in my inbox, Mm. which is not what you want. So now I've got a slightly better system where the 200 videos come into my inbox, I open them on YouTube and put them into my Watch Later playlist, and then the Watch Later later playlist is just something that I'll get to later. Eventually. When there's time. <laughs> the fabled when there's time. Oh, um, yeah. So, I have a solution for you, and let me know if it's going to work or if it's not going to work. Okay. Do you use Evernote or at all? Um, occasionally, like I have an Evernote account, but it probably last saw activity a month ago. Okay. Uh, does, you use OneNote, right? Does that have like a, just like a, uh, this is just a throw, throw everything in this notebook or can you make different notebooks in OneNote? I guess I should ask. Yes. You can make specific notebooks. So something you can do in Evernote, I'm not sure about OneNote, is you can forward, uh, email to an address that will put it in a specific notebook for you. <coughs> mm-hmm. And when you do that, you can just have an, a notebook full of your YouTube notifications. And if even better, if you can set up a macro on 
your email thing, it just to if it's YouTube, forward it to the Evernote thing and delete it. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps even better, see if there's a way with IFTTT so that anything coming in from YouTube gets added to the YouTube Watch Later playlist. That might be. Oh, there might be yeah, API hooks direct, for all yeah. of that. Uh, IFTTT. Can I add that to my to-do list and get back to you? Uh, all right. Okay, so that's a potential solution. And then the rest of them are articles, which I'm trying to get articles into Instapaper. Um, so, but that's where my current inbox is standing, is okay. things just aren't getting filtered out to the right places yet. We were talking about Habitica, and... I mean, there's not much more to say about it. It's interesting, and I don't know anyone else who uses it, so I can't do the Battle Monsters with Friends option. Because mm-hmm. that is something you can do. You can upgrade your strength and such, and try to cooperatively kill demons or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's new since I started doing it. They had guilds, but I don't mm-hmm. think it was a collaborative thing. You just, other people got to see when you were doing poorly. <laughs> So, hey, if you're uh, using Habitica or Habit RPG or whatever variant of it, it's actually open source. Did you know that? Yeah, I did, actually. I uh, didn't care very much, but I <laughs> did see that it was open source. Just a neat tidbit. Um, so, yeah, if you're using Habit RPG, Habitica, and you are looking for a guild or a friend to battle with, we can start up a Worrying Bugs Habit RPG guild. Habitica That'd be guild. pretty cool. Habitica. I like Habit RPG better. I disagree with their name change. Mm-hmm. But whatever. It's their website, so yeah. I'm not going to question them. So, if you heard about my vlog and want to see more of that, hopefully the second episode will be up, and it's available on my YouTube channel, which will be linked in the show notes. Uh, I am at NotStevenBerry at Twitters. And I'm at ThePunsGuy on Twitter. And to see more of us, we are the Worrying Bugs Podcast, and you can find us on iTunes and Google Play Music, Stitcher, Slacker. Everywhere that great podcasts are found. And mediocre podcasts. (laughs) Great podcast section. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you.